Do you yearn for the things that God yearns for? Do you know His love as we've sung about? Do you know His, His unending love? His, His gracious, compassionate love towards you? You know, the Scripture tells us that there's, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And church, that's good news. Because as we've been talking about over these last week, we live in a broken world. And over these last weeks, as we've talked about the brokenness in this world and in our community, I, I, I hope that that has touched your heart. I, I hope that it has disturbed you. I hope it has broken you as well. It, it, it bro- breaks my heart when we see on the news terrorists burning people alive. That's a result of a broken world. I praise God for a testimony, a man like Luis Campos who who had a passion to go back to Peru and and to look at the the poorest of the poor slums and neighborhoods outside of Lima. And is committed to going in and and just helping to meet needs, helping kids to get something to eat and begin to be educated and begin to take steps to get out of the Cycles of poverty that they've just inherited because they happen to be born in that place. What are you broken by today? What are you disturbed about? We live in a broken world. The psalmist puts it this way. In Psalm 14, he says this. He says, The Lord has looked down from heaven to see if there are any who understand, to see if there are any who seek after God, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Hey, Isaiah. Isaiah. Okay. Help Brother Wade out, okay? All right. We're going to pray later, okay? All right. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. And this morning, several of us were able to to share in Halleck Hall and to hear from a group called No Boundaries as they described the tragedy, the brokenness, the horror of human trafficking. Not as it takes place over there, wherever there may be, but as it takes place here in Oklahoma City. 11 and 12-year-old girls... Fourteen and fifteen-year-old girls being trafficked, raped, and abused for twenty dollars here, a hundred dollars there. We live in a broken world. So how are we going to live with this promise of the everlasting love of God? How is it that we're going to live in this broken world? And we've turned to Micah. And oh, we've been on this forever, right? Well, if we could just focus on Micah 6.8 for the rest of our lives, wouldn't the world be a better place? Because what does Micah tell us to do? And, and again, these are words that we see over and over in the life and the teachings of Jesus. But Micah puts it into a, 
a succinct statement that we can all understand. What does the Lord require from you? What does the Lord require from us? Not the ritual of, of sacrifices and of offerings. Not of putting our best clothes on and coming to church. What does the Lord require of us? What does He call us to do? And Micah 6.8 says, he summarizes the Old Testament, the prophets. He, he foreshadows what Christ is going to, to come and teach us about when He says, do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And last week, Kirk did a, a fantastic job of talking about what does it mean to do justice. This Hebrew concept of, of mishpat. James 1.27 says this, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and our Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To look out and to see those who are hurting, those who are in need, those who are so easy to be taken advantage of and to be oppressed and to intercede in their lives and intervene in their lives to bring justice to them. And then this last statement, and to keep yourself unstained by the world. Well, what does that mean? It means to do right, to, to embrace a lifestyle that would cause us to do right and to not succumb, to not fall to the temptations and to the lusts of this world. And James goes a little further. In, earlier in that chapter, in verse 22, he says, we're to be doers of the Word, not just hearers. We're to do justice. Not just to hear about justice, not just to hear about the wrongs in this world, but to be broken. To be broken in such a way that we want to see something take place. We want to see something happen. And James says, we're to be doers of God's Word, not just those that hear it. In James chapter 2, James is, is he's focused on this topic. He says, this is what faith is. Faith is feeding the hungry. Faith is clothing the poor. You talk to me about your faith. Well, good luck. I'm going to show you what my faith is about by feeding the hungry and clothing the poor. You see, religion, faith, what God calls us to is about doing justice, doing what is right in this world. Justice is about keeping people accountable for wrongs in this place. But justice is also about restitution and making things right for the wronged. It's about relieving and restoring and redeeming the poor and the oppressed and the abused and the victimized. This is what justice is about. But the best way to live in a broken world is not simply to do justice. Now hear me carefully and hear what Mike is saying. It's not just to do justice. There are lots of people who do justice or try to do justice. But Micah says this, we are to do justice and we are to love mercy. We are to love kindness. You see, justice and mercy and loving kindness go together. Dr. Campos was in town last night and we had a, a chance to visit with him and, and talk a little bit. Uh, I'm sure Kirk and Jill talked about Peru for this summer and, and uh, we had a chance to visit. And he said, you know what? It, it, it dawned on us. We learned 
that as we, we went into this neighborhood in Peru, that somewhere along the line it wasn't enough just to feed kids. And somewhere along the line we discovered it wasn't enough just to make sure they had an education and that we tutored them. But somewhere along the way we discovered that what these kids needed more than anyone else, what the people of this neighborhood needed more than anything else was love. Yes, they needed justice. And we can feed and clothe and we can educate. That's justice. But we need more than that because that's not going to fix broken people. What fixes broken people is love, is mercy, is kindness. So what Micah is is charging us to do is certainly to do justice, but to do justice in a way that is enveloped and wrapped in loving kindness and mercy. Now, now this word, love mercy, is, is, again, it's a beautiful Hebrew word, hesed. And it's, it's one word in Hebrew that can be defined in like a dozen ways in English. So let, let me share some of the, the words, the ideas around this concept of hesed. Hesed certainly means love. It means mercy and kindness. It means grace and goodness. But it also goes beyond that to mean loyalty and faithfulness. Hesed is the, is the, the covenant word that describes God's love towards the Hebrew people and making a covenant with Abraham and with his descendants. This is a, a chesed relationship. And so this is what Micah is saying to us. Do justice and love in this way. Chesed is the determination beforehand to act in a kind and loyal and merciful way for the benefit of the other without consideration for yourself. So it's determining that before any good or bad or unrighteousness is is portrayed in the relationship that I determine that I'm going to act faithfully and I'm going to act in kindness and graciously and lovingly towards you. And as we read the, the, the whole of the Old Testament, isn't that how God responds and reacts to the people of Abraham, to the Hebrew people? No matter how unfaithful, no matter how idolatrous they are, we see God acting faithfully in loving and kind and merciful ways. A couple of, again, a couple of psalms that, that remind us of this chesed. Psalm 51, verse 1. In David's crying out and recognizing his sin against God and against Uriah and Bathsheba. David begins this psalm this way. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your hesed, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. God's loving kindness and mercy and covenant on one hand, but also the issue of justice. Block out my injustices, my sins. Forgive me. In Psalm 100 verse 5, which was our theme verse for the 125th anniversary, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness, His hesed is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. Now here's where we struggle, I think, a little bit in in our contemporary churches. We have separated love and justice. Somehow we have decided that love and justice don't go together. We're going to be people of love. 
But we don't talk about justice. We don't talk about righteousness. We don't talk about what is right. And what we need to understand is that these two ideas are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they need each other. It, it seems to me that there can, can be no, no chesed if there's no justice. Mercy and kindness must be our response to a broken world. Because the world is broken, because there's injustice in our world, our response must be in love and kindness and graciousness. We respond mercifully and graciously, first of all, so that we can pick up the pieces of injustice. So that we can come along the victim. And so that we can redeem them. But also... We need loving kindness and compassion to to come alongside in ways that we can, in ways that are appropriate, in ways that are responsible to those who are the perpetrators. Even as they're held accountable for their injustices. To see how God's forgiveness and loving kindness could even change their lives. So we need love to pick up the pieces of injustice, but we also need love to move us into, inju- into justice, into righteousness, into a world that is, is good and just. You see, it is mercy and it's kindness and it's love that gives us the ability to see where we are in the injustices of today, but to see the possibilities of tomorrow, right? It's loving kindness that allows us to see the eagle from the egg, right? It's loving kindness that allows us to see the caterpillar, the beautiful butterfly that can come out of the worm, right? It's God's loving kindness that allows us to see in each of us the potential and the possibilities of what God can do in us, right? Without loving kindness, without mercy, we, we can't see that potential and that possibility. We can't see how God can redeem the brokenness that each of us share and experience. You see, Hesed is not just a coping mechanism. Hesed is not just a sign of hopelessness or helplessness in the sight of injustice. Hesed, loving kindness and loving mercy, is the strategy. It's the strategy to defeat and to overcome the injustices in this world. So we are called to love. We are called to respond in this way because it's through Hesed that God begins to transform and change and we experience the power of God in our midst. But again, Hesed is more than just just an immediate response of love an immediate response of grace, an immediate response of kindness. It's more than just saying, you know what, we're going to get you a coat and something to eat. But Hesed's also this idea of loyalty and covenant and perseverance and long-suffering. It's the idea that I'm going to come alongside of you and I'm going to give you something to eat and a coat for today, but you know what, I'm going to teach you and show you and walk with you so that you can begin to care for yourself. And so that you can begin to, 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 to take care of your own needs. And because 
This idea of loving mercy and kindness has this idea of loyalty and faithfulness and perseverance. It costs. And what I would say to the church is, you know, we're pretty good a lot of times at 911 calls, right? We can meet the emergency and the need of the moment. But are we, are we really practicing this loving mercy and kindness? Are we really committed to, to walking the long journey with folks? so that they can become what God has called them to be. You know, taking a bunch of children in Peru that don't have enough to eat, that are, are, are suffering from the effects of, of malnutrition and starvation, it, it takes more than just a, a couple of weeks, a couple of months of some good meals, doesn't it? It's a lifetime of investing, and that's what the, the Osa house that our, our youth went to a, a couple of summers ago and are looking forward to going to this summer. It's part of an ongoing Ministry, an incarnational ministry of folks who've in, who are investing themselves there. You see, chesed is a costly, sacrificial love. It's a persevering love, a self-sacrificing love. Jesus said it this way. In telling us about this love, he said, there's no greater love than what? Than that you would lay down your life for your friend. That's pretty self-sacrificing, isn't it? There's no greater love than to lay your life down for your friend. But you might say, well, Brother Wade, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to, to give yourself and to, to die for your friend? Because you know what? With this body I've got, I can only do that once. And it seems to me that, that Christ is saying we need to do this over and over again. We need to love our enemies. We need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We need to die for others. What does that look like? Anne Lamott tells the story of an eight-year-old boy whose younger sister was diagnosed with leukemia. She was struggling through this illness and they came to that point as, as people with leukemia do where, where a blood transfusion was, was vital. A blood transfusion was needed in order to save her life. And so all the family was tested to see who had a, a, a blood type that could match the little sister so that she could receive a blood transfusion, so they could keep as much of that within the family, the blood that she would receive in the family. And sure enough, her older brother, eight years of age, was a perfect match. And so mom and dad went into the, to the little boy one day and said, uh, you know, your sister's sick with leukemia. In fact, she's, she's sick and she, she may die. And what she needs in order to, to live and to survive is she needs a blood transfusion. And you have the perfect blood match for her. Would you be willing to give your sister a pint of blood? And the little boy understood the, the gravity of the situation. He understood how important it was. And he looked up at his mom and dad and he said, I need to think about this overnight. So sure enough, he went to bed. He got up the next morning and he said, Mom and dad, he said, I want to give a pint of blood to my sister. So she can live. So they made their preparations on that day. They went to the doctor's office and they put both the, the children on, on beds there in the, in the clinic they were at. They began to take the blood out of the young boy's veins and, and then they began to put blood, do the transfusion for his little sister. And he was laying there with his eyes closed, kind of tensed up like you might do if you were given blood. And they finished the process and he was laying there and, and finally the doctor came over and said, are you okay? 
The little boy looked up at him and he said, when am I going to die? You see, he thought that by having to give a pint of his blood, that he was going to have to give up his life for his sister. You see, this is the kind of loving kindness and mercy and sacrificial love that God is calling us to. We are to do justice, to love mercy. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. And do not merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. You see, this is the attitude of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and gave His blood that we might live. Are we practicing this kind of love? You know, I've, I've become more and more convinced, convinced that in our world and in our culture today that the word love has absolutely no meaning. When you hear the word love just out in the world today, you have no idea what that means. For the most part, it has to do with selfishness, seeing that your own needs are met, a conditional relationship that we might share. That's what you hear when you hear the word love so many times in our world and culture. But, but Scripture talks about chesed love, about agape love, a love that is sacrificial and self-giving. In John chapter 11, Jesus arrived in Bethany. He'd gotten word that Lazarus was sick and Lazarus had passed away. Martha came running to Jesus and said, Lazarus is dead. But oh Jesus, if you'd have just been here, he would still be alive. Martha went to get her sister Mary. Mary comes running to Jesus. Oh Jesus, and Mary's weeping and crying that her brother is dead. And she says, oh Jesus, if you'd have just been here, my brother would still be alive. And you know what the next verse says? Jesus wept. You see, he was brokenhearted. In his loving kindness, in his grace and his mercy, he was able to cry with Mary. And then he was able to act out of his own love and his own mercy and his own agape love to bring about and to resurrect Jesus. I mean, Lazarus. Why did Jesus cry? Because He loved mercy. He loved compassion and kindness and grace. He'd lost His best friend, some would say. Mary and Martha, ladies that he, He'd loved and cherished His sisters, they were, they were broken hearted. And He entered into that. And He raised... Lazarus. And you know what the Scripture says a few verses later? From that day on, they, the Pharisees, planned to kill Jesus. From that day on, the day that He showed an incredible chesed, an incredible love, a, a sacrificial love, from that day forward, they decided they were going to kill Jesus because they didn't like that kind of love being shared and demonstrated in this world but you know what? We need more people who are crying and broken over injustices. We need more and more of us to be moved by kindness and mercy and sacrifice 
to change and to heal lives around us. When was the last time that you cried over the injustices of this world? When was the last time that you loved mercy to the point of getting involved, not just on the short term, but on the long term, to bring about justice? You see, Hesed is a costly kind of love. You see, someone shared Hesed with you. Jesus Christ shared Hesed with you. It's costly. And as you decide that you want to share this, as you decide that you want to do justice and love mercy, you'll discover that this same kind of love will cost each of us as well. But this is the kind of love and justice that the world needs. This kind of love and justice is what girls that are being trafficked on East Robinson need in our community. This kind of love and justice is what children and families in the slums of Peru need. This kind of love is what the world needs. As we stare injustice and evil in its face, It's what the sick with leukemia and cancer, those who have been injured and hurt, it's what they need in order to find healing as well. All of these and so many more, we all need to do justice and we all need to love mercy on their behalf, but it will cost, church. Are we willing? Are we able? Are we ready to move forward? You see, what is the best way to live in a broken world to do justice and to love mercy and certainly next week to walk humbly with God. So how is this God speaking to you today? What will it cost you right now to do justice and to love mercy? How will this impact your world this afternoon? How will it impact your world when you show up at work or school tomorrow? Where is God breaking your heart What do you need to educate yourself in some of these areas of injustice? What do you need to do? Where do you need to go? You see, the Spirit of God is calling us, each of us, individually and as a church, to a life of mercy and of justice. Will we respond and follow after Him? Let's pray.